So the first reading from Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And the second passage found on page 77, Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 11. The Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Seven days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. We'll just come and uh, bring our pastor Mike to you now as he comes to lead us on this word. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of it guiding and working in our lives. We pray now for your pastor Mike as he leads us and comes to speak on the word that he's prepared this week. We ask that you will give him wisdom and guidance and through the, your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you will use the words that are spoken to speak into our hearts and our minds and you'll change our lives from the inside out, Lord, this morning for your glory and your praise. Amen. Thanks. Amen. Thanks so much. And good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Hi. Someone's awake. That's a good sign. Do keep your Bibles open there at Exodus chapter 20. In our Sunday morning, we are looking at the Ten Commandments this term. And we're finding that they're more than just a, a kind of random collection of, of laws. They are actually a key to life. Through Moses, 
God was giving his people a blueprint of what it meant to be fully human, to be a mature human being, to be fruitful. This is what it means to choose life. The phrase choose life has been used in quite a few um, campaigns over the, over the years. It's quite a slogan. I remember there was a vape shop near our house in Manchester that said, choose vaping, choose life. <laughs> I'm going to recommend the Ten Commandments to you whether or not you choose to vape. I think this is where we're going to find life. And these Ten Commandments uh, were like the founding document of the people of Israel, a bit like the Magna Carta for this country, to live them out would have made the Israelites a unique people in the world. Absolutely unique. Their, their corporate life would have shone out because they would have lived as the people of God. They actually would have lived as a kind of new creation. And so these 10 words capture for us what it means to live as free people. The first four of them relate to how we relate to God, the vertical axis, and the second six relate to how we uh, relate to one another, the horizontal axis. And we're now on the fourth one, so the fourth of these commandments about how we relate to God. And what we're seeing here is that if you want to experience joy, if you want to live in a just way, if you want to feel hope, if you want to experience peace and righteousness, things that I think everybody wants, essentially then we're going to find them here. And so what we're wrestling with is how do we, in South London, in the 21st century, apply these ancient words. They were written down uh, something like 1500 BC, 1450 BC, something like that. So you can do the maths. This is three and a half thousand years ago. Now, I, have, um, I grew up in a Christian family. I was taught, I got the Bible with my mother's milk. But I have learned more about the Sabbath this week than in the previous 50 years. I found this absolutely mind-blowing and, and very challenging. I think that some of the worst Sabbath breakers are pastors. Because you can easily justify doing it. And what I think is that if I'm humble and, and pliable enough to obey what we are going to learn then I think it will transform my life. Do you want to come on this journey? Three simple points about the Sabbath today. Firstly, what is it? What is it? What it is? Secondly, why it matters? And thirdly, how to keep it? Firstly, what it is? And if you've got your Bible there, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Shabbat, a Sabbath, to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work. Now, what is this Sabbath? Now, listen, it's a bit like um, clearing a, a building site, you know, clearing a site before you put something up, because you often have to clear away a load of rubble, bits of rubbish, weeds, you know, stuff. We may need to clear away some rubbish in our minds before we can really see the beauty of what we're being commanded. Abraham Joshua Heschel was a Polish rabbi. He uh, actually escaped uh, Poland just in time and was rescued and taken to America. And sadly, his many of his family were killed in the Second World War. And in, he became one of the leading Jewish thinkers of the last century. And in 1951, he published a remarkable book 
called the Sabbath. And he defined it as a palace in time. A palace in time. So fusion, if you've got your sheet there, a word or phrase or a big theme would be the Sabbath is like a palace, but it's made of time. You know, like a beautiful palace, the Disney palace or fairy castle. It's like that. It's beautiful, but it's in time, not in bricks. He said this, the seventh day is a palace in time, which we build. It is made up of soul, of joy, and of carefulness. In its atmosphere, a discipline is a reminder of how close we are to eternity. So it's a very deep thing that we're being asked to do here. He continued, the Sabbath is not for the sake of the weekdays, you know, just to recharge you to get back on the horse. The Sabbath is not for the sake of the weekdays. The weekdays are for the sake of the Sabbath. It is not an interlude, but the climax of living. See, with this command, God insisted for his people that they created a rhythm of life that was unique in the world, and he grounded it in his own character, in his own activity, that God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and on the seventh he rested, and so he commands us to enter his rest. And then in Deuteronomy, where this law was republished, Deuteronomy means second law, when the Ten Commandments are given again, a different reason is actually given for this, and the reason is you used to be slaves, but now you're free. So we've got to keep the Sabbath for two reasons. Two reasons are given. One is that God kept it. And two is you're free now. You don't have to slave away every day. You're free. It's a rhythm where every single week you keep a 24-hour period of uninterrupted rest and recreation. Notice I didn't say recreation. Actually, that's where the word comes from. It's recreation is being recreated, replenished, refreshed restored. That's what it was. And it was a very strange thing to all the other nations around Israel. What were, they actually sometimes Jews have been accused of being lazy by anti-Semites because they take a day of rest every week. They had to do it even at key times. Now remember this is an agricultural society. Most people get their living off the land. They have to have to take one day of solid rest even in, in, in the plowing time where you're sowing the seed and every day counts. Even in the harvest time where you're bringing in the crops and every hour counts. The Jews still had to take one day a week of rest. What? I wonder if it's a strange idea to modern ears as well. Think about the life of the great city of London. It never stops. The hustle and bustle. Many years ago, I was out very late in London before I was married and when I finally got out of where we were, I realized all the trains and buses had stopped. There were no more tubes. There's no way back to Chesington. And I was there, and I could not bear to pay for a taxi. So I climbed onto the roof of a building near the Admiralty and spent the night sleeping on a roof. <laughs> These days, I would just pay for the taxi, to be honest with you. But what I learned there is that London never stops. There were people gathering, talking all through the night. I hardly got a wink of sleep. Think about the life that is constantly being pressed in on you 
by the digital world. If you have some sort of device. I've never had an iPad, uh, but many of you have. I, I have I've, I've smartphone, computers, whatever it is. Um, and I think the younger you are here, the more the digital world is just part of your experience. Fusion, you, you know more about this probably than your parents. My youngest son could swipe before he could talk. He actually came up to my laptop as a young boy and tried to swipe the screen. Didn't do anything. We are surely living in one of the most restless times that human beings have ever endured, aren't we? Never stops. So how do you feel about it? Let's take a moment now. Take a deep breath. How do you feel about it? This life that you live. This rest that the Sabbath talks about means stopping, ceasing, from your normal sphere of activity as far as you can. And that applies to all of us, not just people with a nine-to-five job. Now, I suspect, actually, the majority of people in this room don't have a typical nine-to-five, five-day-a-week job. Um, the workplace has changed. Our lives have changed. Some of us are studying. School students, the Fusion guys, the JF guys, the YPF. We've got some here, university or studying at college. We've got people who are in retirement. They still have plenty to do. I know several people who told me that when they retired, they became more busy. Is that you? There's always, you always have responsibilities. Uh, whether it's raising children, cooking meals, doing the laundry, changing nappies. Whether it's sweeping floors, serving customers, teaching an arts group, teaching people to swim, gardening, tree surgery, plumbing, electrics, giving advice, caring for somebody, running a company, selling perfume, whatever it is, God says you need one day of rest. And I know immediately some of you are thinking, how on earth could I do that? Especially the mums. Wouldn't that be nice, mums? Imagine that, one day of rest. Now, listen, I'm not going to try and figure out every single detail for all of our lives. Uh, it's not my place to be prescriptive. In fact, we, we'll see in a minute, that's really not my place. But I do want us to be very clear about the principle, and then we've got to work out for ourselves what it means. We should have one day that is special and different from all of the others in that it is full of rest and recreation. Okay? That's the first thing we learn. It's about ceasing a special day and, and doing other things, resting and re, being refreshed. Now, the second thing about the Sabbath is it's not necessarily a Saturday and it's not necessarily even a Sunday and it's not necessarily even the seventh day of the week or the first day of the week. Now, if you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard people say things like, quote, air quote, the Jews celebrated the Sabbath on Saturday. And that is only partly true. It is true that the regular Jewish Sabbath began on Friday evening at sundown 
until Saturday evening at sundown, a 24-hour period that uh, actually was the name of the day was Shabbat. And we get it even in modern languages. So in Spanish, if any, any students here studying Spanish, what's the day for Saturday? Sabado, thank you, which is from Sabbath. French have Samedi. So there was that rhythm, Saturday. But the idea of Sabbath is not Saturday. Because, remember, this day is a palace in time where you go and stay and rest and are refreshed. The greatest Old Testament Sabbaths were actually on the first day of the week. The first day of the week. And these were wonderful feast days. I'm going to share a couple with you. The first one was the Day of Atonement. One day a year where they celebrated that God would take away their sins. Uh, Leviticus chapter 16. I'll read it. You don't have to turn there. Leviticus 16.29 says this. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you on the 10th day of the 7th month. So 10th day of the 7th month. This day is moving around, isn't it? It's like us saying uh, 25th of December. Every year, one, last year it was Sunday, and then it will be Monday, blah, blah, blah. So every year, this, this day is going to move around. On the 10th day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work. Imagine if denying yourself meant not doing any work. Isn't that music to your ears? Whether you're native-born or a foreigner living among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. And then before the Lord you will be clean from all your sins. It is a day of Sabbath rest. And you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. They were to take a day of rest on the day that their sins were, were cleansed. Then there was another festival, a great one called the day of Pentecost. It's in a feast which is uh, called the festival of tabernacles or booths or tents. And this is what it says there. Beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month, after you've gathered the crops in, so this is harvest time, gathering in the crops, celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. The first day is a day of Sabbath rest, and the eighth day is a day of Sabbath rest. So they have a whole week off, but the first day is a special Sabbath rest, and the eighth day. And in, in, in John's Gospel, it says that on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up. And made his wonderful announcement that he was the one who gives us rest. So the Sabbath moved around. Some of, it was often Saturday, but it could be uh, a moving day or it would be the, the first day. And the greatest, the greatest Sabbaths of the Old Testament are the ones that are on Sunday. It's pointing forward. These were wonderful days. They were days of feasting. They were days of celebrating. So it was... That's a bit about when it was. We're still on what it is. Now listen, there's a dreadfully long history of nitpicking uh, linked to the Sabbath, both by Jews and Christians. Around about the time of Jesus and after, Jewish thinkers tried to sort of capture and specify what it meant to keep the Sabbath and not. And that is why I said I'm not going to prescribe today. Because what they did ended up with being over-prescriptive. Um, they have a book called the Mishnah and then two other uh, codes called the Talmud. And in these things, they specify to immense detail what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. They created 39 different categories of things that you shouldn't do on the Sabbath. And under each one of the 39 categories were more subcategories. So you end up with hundreds of little guidelines countless things. Now I'm not going to go into any of those today because I fear 
that doing that would risk being disrespectful to our Jewish friends. And they need all the support they can get from Christian brothers and sisters. Sometimes pastors like me make comments that would feel anti-Semitic to our Jewish brethren uh, without realizing it. So we're not going to do that. We're not going to make fun of uh, Jewish prescriptions because we have enough trouble at home. (laughs) We need to look at the log in our own eye. You know, Christians have done just as much damage by specifying details of behavior that we thought were inappropriate on the Sabbath. For example, in Puritan America, anything frivolous, frivolous, fun and silly, was deemed inappropriate on the Sabbath day. So in the state of Connecticut, it was outlawed for a mother to kiss her child on the Sabbath. Because kissing is frivolous, as we all know. Now, this isn't just Americans and Puritans. I remember as a young teenager going out from this church to Whitby, in the northeast of England, on a Christian outreach in the summer called Beach Mission. And we were staying up in this, sleeping on the floor in a church in Whitby. And on Sunday morning, the leader opened his Bible and he said how Sunday was a special day like the Sabbath and we should treat it like a special day. And I hadn't quite clocked what they meant by that because I was a doofus (laughs) so later that day in the church hall I was kicking a ball to another teenager and he was kicking it back and we're messing around as boys always do and a a man approached us with a very earnest expression and he took out a bible said, remember that talk this morning from the leader oh yeah yeah he said "Uh, well what you're doing you know kicking a ball is isn't really appropriate on a Sunday. Oh. Now, some of you might have had experiences like that growing up. Maybe for you, Sunday was the day when you can't watch television, can't watch films, read cartoon comic books, read the newspaper. You have to dress up in uncomfortable clothes. You have to try and be serious for a whole day. Basically, the principle is don't try not to have any fun. Now listen, it is kind of funny, but to be honest, that sort of thing is an absolute disaster. It's terrible. It is the opposite of what the Sabbath is about. It is ruinous because the Sabbath is supposed to be full of joy. Recreation. It's a palace in time. And we see this several times in Jesus with his conflicts with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a, a pressure group. They were like a moral Back to basics, morality, pressure group. They weren't priests or um, prophets. They were, they were like businessmen and, and lo- local respected people who wanted to get back to the Bible so that maybe God would come and sort out the Romans. But they, so they should have been on, on line with Jesus, but they are, they are so close and yet so far away. And the closest thing to a Pharisee is some evangelical Christians. Yeah, and I'm an evangelical Christian. Matthew 12, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. The Pharisees are there. There he is. You know, they're watching. And they see these disciples, they're just pretty hungry. You know, imagine eating a head of grain. You've got to be fairly peckish. And they say, look, 
your disciples, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. They think they've got him now. Whoa, that's serious, breaking God's law. And Jesus says, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread. Now this is bread that you really shouldn't eat. It wasn't lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet they are innocent because they're working on the Sabbath? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. He's talking about himself. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. See, Jesus Christ comes and he says, you know that law about the Sabbath? I'm telling you, I'm the Lord of it. And it's okay to eat, to rest, to be replenished. We don't need to be nitpicking about lots of little rules and taking away everybody's joy. That is the opposite. Jesus, by the way, nowhere cancels the Sabbath commandment, which is why today I'm teaching that we should observe it but he does engage with people and show how they've perverted it by layer and layer and layer of tradition. You know, Jesus says it's perfectly good to bless another person on the Sabbath to do right to them. Now, we're never free to break God's law. We're never free to steal, commit adultery, to lie. But some laws there was flexibility with. The, the, way, the way you would work out how you kept the Sabbath the way you would work out how you tithed. These things need some unpicking. There are times we have to flex. Jesus then went on from that place and he went into a synagogue, which is a meeting place, a bit like a church, and there's a man there with a shriveled hand. He's been disabled for years. And they look, they're trying to, to, to frame Jesus. So they say, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He says, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, won't you take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he says to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretches it out. And it's completely restored, just as sound as the other one. And they went out and they plotted how to kill Jesus. You see how far wrong we can go when we're spiritually proud. Jesus has gone against their religious rules and now they want to kill him. What is a Sabbath? It's stopping from your normal responsibilities. It's actively enjoying and doing good and blessing other people, re being recreated. And the third thing is it's holy. It's a holy day. Look at Exodus 20 again. Verse 11. In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Now that doesn't mean that the other six days are sinful and that the Sabbath is somehow godly. Holy means special. It means separate. It means distinctive, set apart. It has a beauty and a specialness all of its own. So that means this has to be a treasured day, a special day, not just blending in with all the other days so one day looks much like another. We need one day a week that's different. Now, that's what it is. Why does it matter so much? How come this ended up being one of the Ten Commandments? If you think about it, it seems a little bit trivial. You know, a couple of commandments time, we're going to hear you should not murder. I think everybody agrees that's quite a good law. 
But why the Sabbath? Why does it end up in there? It seems like the, the strange, the poor relation. But it does matter. And here we're going on to why it matters. Basically because of this. The Sabbath reminds us to keep on trusting God. And to reframe and reorient our lives around him. The Sabbath reminds us, keep on trusting God because he's going to provide for you every single week. Now the whole message of the Bible can be summed up in just two words. Trust me. And the story of human frailty and wickedness at the heart lies in our failure to do that. We're just not sure we can trust God. We refuse to trust God and we turn to lesser things in his place, things that we think we can rely on, things that maybe we think we can control. And we all do this. Uh, we tend to think of God, I've told a story a few weeks ago, of a father who takes his daughter to the wonderful toy shop on Regent Street, Hamleys, and shows her around all the wonderful toys in the shop and says, what do you think of that? Isn't that lovely? Yeah, would you like to have that? Yes, that I would. And then takes her afterwards and says, the reason I took you there was so that you know you will never have any of those. And we think of God like that dad. We think he's really out to crush us, suffocate us, take away any real pleasure. He wants us to see all the good things in life and then say, you'll never have it. Or if you do, it'll have to be prized out of my stingy hand. And that idea is a lie straight from hell. It's the oldest lie in the book and it's the main lie the devil keeps spinning. You can't trust, you can't trust God. And the Sabbath is a signpost to keep pointing us back in the right direction and say, you really can. Now it's so important that actually the Sabbath was given before the Ten Commandments. As soon as they left Egypt, they were supposed to have a day of rest. And then right before they're going to get the law, when Moses comes down the mountain with the stone tablets with the law written on, right at that moment they, they are to keep a Sabbath. So it's kind of bookending the whole experience. Because at the Exodus, when they came out of Egypt, God is creating a whole new people of God. And he's meeting their needs. He commits himself that he will sustain them if they follow him through the wilderness to the promised land. And when they get to that land, God says, you will be like a beacon of light, like a lighthouse to the world. Because from that land, the Israelites, like a kingdom of priests, will shine out God's glory to the ends of the earth and all the nations will see and want to be part of it. And that's what we're going to think about tonight. So this is really a recapitulation of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. A recap. Adam and Eve are created. God brings out uh, a world of beauty and provision and plenty and abundance. He separates the waters and the dry land is there. And he puts people in a special garden. And from there they are to extend his rule over the whole world. To fill the world with his glory. And they believe the lie, you can't trust God. And it all fell apart. And now God has... Just as he prepared an empty world, now he delivers Israel from Egypt through dry land, parting the Red Sea, leads them through the wilderness to Canaan, showing his power, showing his provision, keeping his promises, and all of this so that they will be the people of God. And he says, you must keep a Sabbath as a sign that you're in God's people because the Sabbath is God saying to us, I will provide for all your needs. 
And it's us saying to God, we will trust you. Right? The Sabbath is God's statement to his people. I'm committed to you to lead you, guide you, provide for you, and deliver you from evil. You're the people I love. And it, the Sabbath is our statement to God saying, we will, we will worship you and love you and trust you, rest in your will. And we need this Sabbath, we need a day a week to keep us trusting God, friends, and protect us from idolatry. The first three commandments have been all been about idolatry. The first one is, you shall have no other gods before me or beside me. The second one is, you shan't make for yourself an image of anything and worship it, worshiping the true God falsely. It's about visual representation. And the third commandment is you shan't misuse God's name. It means not representing him verbally in a wrong way. And all those things are characteristic of the human heart because we tend to latch on to idols. The French reformer John Calvin said the human heart is a permanent factory of idols. It's always churning them out. And now we have the fourth commandment. How does it tie to those three? The fourth commandment is going to help us keep the other three. Because we need a weekly reminder. And if we don't have it, we will find that we're breaking the other three. Is that serious? We need a weekly reminder. All of these commandments about idolatry are about the, hum the primary human failing which is to worship other things than God. And these commandments remind us that we tend to trivialize God. We tend to turn away from him and look for lesser things. We tend to cast him into the wrong image. We tend to misuse his name. But when we trivialize God, we dehumanize ourselves. We become less than what we were made to be. So these 10 commandments aren't given as a sort of burden. They're given as an extension of God's love. You've been freed, free at last. And if you want to live in freedom, here's how to live. So friends, if we want to keep living the free life of, that Jesus has given us, we will need to make sure we have a day of rest and recreation. Because if we never stop from our responsibilities, if we never stop and think and breathe and take that time, what happens to us? You start to find your identity in what you do rather than who you are. You start to think that your work or your accomplishments or your success or your obligations will save you and then it eats you alive. Studies have shown that I suggest that areas where people work the longest hours are often the areas where people are the most unhappy because unceasing, unresting, Unexamined work leads us to be frazzled, overstretched, stressed, worried, fragile, anxious. Doesn't it? And you know how easily that then turns into defense, being defensive, being self-justifying, barking at people, being snappy, maybe being bitter. And that even applies to our Christian service. This is a very hard-working church, but you can actually turn Christian service into a Sabbath-breaking commitment. Mark Sluker is a non-Christian writer. 
He commented on the modern work culture and he said that many people have replaced religion with the church of Our Lady of Perpetual Work. The church of Our Lady of Perpetual Work. The church of work. It seeks to corner the market on what we most desire to suggest that the work of our hands will save us and we believe. We believe across all the boundaries of class and race and ethnicity that normally divide us. We believe in numbers that dwarf those of the more conventionally faithful. We repeat the daily catechism we sing in the choir and we tithe and keep on giving until we are spent. For some people in the modern economy, working 24-7 is a badge of honour. You're always on. You get the email even though it was sent at midnight and you'd responded by 4am. You're never off. Because working really hard will give you status. And if you work really, really long hours, you'll make more money, which gives you even more status. So you look like such a successful person, but you're not really inside. You see, keeping the Sabbath will actually keep us fully human. We can live free of all that. Now, do you see why this law deserves its place in the Ten Commandments? The Sabbath is about a lot more than just taking a day off. It's a gift from God. It's an antidote to the work and worry of our lives. It's a signpost to point us back to the one who really can be trusted to provide. It's a key to guard your heart. It's bound up with the first three commandments. It helps us to reset, to take stock, to recreate. And without the regular rhythm of it, our hearts will inevitably drift into living as if everything revolves around us and our hard work. And I've, I've done this. I've done this more times than I care to admit. When I was working in central London, commuting from here, did that for five years, up in the Oxford Circus. It was a long hours culture. If I left at 5.30 or 6, my boss would see me and say, oh, you're having a half day. <laughs> if I ever worked from home, she would phone me at 9 a.m. just for a chat. She was basically checking that I was up. Then we were given work laptops and work phones, and so work now spread into the weekend. But I was very, very busy with church as well. I never took a day off. And what happened was I began to live like a functional atheist. If you'd asked me, I'd still have been able to answer the Bible questions, and I was a Christian, but functionally I was living as if God didn't exist and never gave him the time of day. And other things in my life started to show it. I started to compromise. Because I never took Sabbath. You know, we really need this. So we need to examine our lives today, all of us, because it's it's quite likely that for many of us, Sabbath has not been a big rhythm in our life and we are the losers in that equation. What it is, why it matters finally and most briefly how to keep it. Um, Old Testament scholar and a great teacher of mine, a man called Gordon Hugenberger, summed this up in one phrase. How do you keep it? Make this day a slice of heaven. Make this day a slice of heaven. It's a palace in time. Make it a slice of heaven. In Exodus 31, uh, it talks about the Sabbath again. I'll read that out. It's page 90. And this is an amazing text. It's telling them to keep the Sabbath. This is right before that Moses comes down the mountain. 
The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, says verse 16, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, listen to this, he rested and was refreshed. God was refreshed? The word underneath that is, literally means God took a deep breath. took a deep breath, not because he was tired and exhausted, but so that he could enjoy his finished work. He was like a gardener who's worked hard and then on the seventh day just goes into the garden and sits there and enjoys it. The Sabbath is taking a deep breath. God rejoiced, celebrated. He'd finished his work. He looked at it and said, it's done. It's completed. I wouldn't change a thing. So look, friends, have you lost the ability to stop and just be idle. Just to stop and just do nothing. Doing nothing is probably one of the most spiritually beneficial things you could do. What a great God we have. He insists that we keep a day of rest for our good. How do we keep it? Now, it's going to be different for different people. Depending on your work, some necessarily have to work on a Sunday, some have shifts. Uh, some have responsibilities they have to keep doing. For some of you, gardening is recreation. For some of you, gardening is your daily labor. The key is stopping and being refreshed from whatever it is. And I've just got four disciplines we can pursue as we close. Firstly, worship. Stop what you're doing and gather with God's people. This is different from any other day of the week. Rehearse together. Remember what he's done. And when we talk, let's not just talk about our work. Let's talk about how you're doing. How are you growing? How is God blessing you at the moment? Enjoy church. Don't take yourself so seriously. Worship. Secondly, goodness. Sunday's a day. The Sabbath is a day for doing good things. It is lawful, especially things for the poor and needy, those who need help. Notice in the passage how everybody got a rest on the Sabbath. Let people off. If you're an employer... Be the kind of employer that the staff think, wow, it's amazing working for them. They really want me to take a rest. Thirdly, play. Play. Do things that are fun. Feast with friends and family. Do things that you just don't get time to do the rest of the week. Silly things. Anything so that when you look back, you look back on the day and think, that was a really great day. My wife always made sure the kids had treats on Sunday they weren't allowed the rest of the week and that made us feel it was special it's holy fourthly stillness stillness be still sit do nothing for a while be tranquil turn the phone off stop unplug stop working it's for your own good Otherwise, you will slip bit by bit into idolatry. Be deliberately idle. Take a deep breath. Practice some silence. Stop. Breathe. God himself did it. He asks us to do it, commands us to do it, to imitate him in a creaturely way. It's really good for you. It's really good. You need him to protect your heart, to be fully human. So as I close, I want to ask, Will you dare to do this this week?
Let's pray. Lord, how we need your word and it often surprises us and I pray that you'd show us, each one, how we can do this and also how we can help each other to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.